I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Well, hello. Welcome to Jules Says. I'm Julie Jules. My goodness, it's almost the end of July. Do you know how many times we've used our barbecue? Zero. Do you know how many times we've used our outdoor fire pit? Zero. Do you know how many times we've sat outside just in the back enjoying the day? Maybe twice. I think I need to get on that. I love summer, but it is going to be gone before you know it, and I'll be very, very sad. Abe and I are actually thinking of looking into a warmer place to spend three months in the winter so that we can avoid the worst of it. It has to be safe. It has to be easily accessible by plane. I don't want it to be in the middle of nowhere, and it doesn't have to be beachy. I think as long as it's warm enough to enjoy your life outdoors without having to deal with the slog of winter. This isn't something we plan on doing in the near, near future, but we're thinking of it because even we don't have to wait till we retire either because we can work remotely. I work 100% remotely. doesn't matter where I am. I can be anywhere. Well, what's in the news this week except Barbie, Barbie, Barbie? I have not yet seen the movie, but of course I must. I did watch two trailers today because how could I not? I I mean, it's the only thing anyone's talking about, and I've been kind of avoiding all the advertising. But it is all we hear about this week. What a marketing onslaught. The dizzying array of product partnerships, brand collaborations, the plethora of pink products. The film's production designer, Sarah Greenwood, apparently told Architectural Digest that construction of the Barbie Land set, which, by the way, was in England, I had no idea, Construction of the set caused an international run on the Roscoe brand fluorescent pink paint. We are so lucky in our society. We do not expect anything to be unavailable if we can afford to find it and buy it. So when we hear about this, we're like, oh, wow. Imagine if you lived through rationing. But I digress. There are clothes, shoes. I love the shoes. And fashion accessories, which is obviously to be expected. It's Barbie. But there are also a lot of unexpected Barbie products. Games, I guess that is kind of to be expected. Barbie Uno cards. Pool floaties. Luggage. Rugs. Who would invest in an actual Barbie carpet? I don't know. 
A Barbie Xbox video game console. Wow. Barbie food, including donuts, frozen yogurt, burgers, you name it. July 2023 is a Barbie bonanza. Airbnb even has a Barbie mansion available to rent in Malibu. The film's tagline is something like, if you love Barbie, this film is for you. If you hate Barbie, this film is for you. So I guess it's for everyone. I don't know if anyone feels ambivalent about Barbie. I know Abe doesn't like the color Barbie pink. I had what I thought was a gorgeous pink houndstooth suit years ago. I was still living in Sarnia. It was early days that we were dating. I freaking loved that suit. I love houndstooth, but you put that in pink. It was a really cute little skirt and jacket, and I loved it. But I actually wore it out. I didn't stop wearing it because Abe didn't like the color. To hell with that. I don't do that anymore. Of course, it may not surprise you to hear that I happen to be a lifelong Barbie fan. Barbie was launched in 1959, the year before old Jules was born, and sold 300,000 dolls in her first year. And before Barbie launched, most, if not all, dolls were baby dolls, which is obviously for nurturing role play. Fashion dolls were pretty much only available as paper dolls, which of course I also had. Those were for the aspirational grown-up role play. You know, little girls in general, I'm sure there are little boys who like this too, love to play setups and they love to role play. So it makes sense. And it only made sense that children would appreciate an aspirational doll modeled after beautiful movie stars. After all, weren't little girls back in the day being taught that to be tall, slender, and beautiful were the best qualities we could have? And of course, Barbie dolls represented that ideal. And naturally, she has had her share of controversy since her 1959 launch. Even the fact that she had breasts originally was contentious. But her creator insisted that such concerns were ridiculous, and I agree with that. Women have breasts. It's a part of our body. And this is a fashion doll fashioned after a woman, an unattainably slender, leggy woman. But women have breasts and stop being a dick about it. Breasts do not exist for male sexualization. That is only one of their many roles. And of lesser importance, I would argue, than just feeding babies, for God's sake. I watched a documentary about Barbie's invention and reinvention over the years in, it was, uh, it was a 2018 documentary called Tiny Shoulders Rethinking Barbie. If you can find it, it is quite illuminating. It is worth watching. They kind of get into Barbie's social influence, into feminism issues in relation to the Barbie beauty and body image influences. Plus Barbie's evolution, which included over 250 careers, and many influential, brilliant people enter the discussion. It's a fascinating documentary, if you can see it. I'll put up the link to the trailer. Controversy or no controversy, I loved Barbie, and I still do. My grandmother, who we called Nanny, my mom's mom, always had Barbies. She was a grown woman when Barbie was launched, obviously, but she loved fashion. Nanny was the kind of woman who wore animal print kitten heel slippers at home. 
which I have, and I take them when I go to house parties so that I don't have to be flat-footed in people's homes. In North America, we take our shoes off in people's homes. But she wore these kitten heel slippers to do her housework. She had hats and gloves to match her ensembles. She owned a royal blue velvet gown, a diaphanous black peignoir set. She had red satin sheets on her bed. And she loved dressing her Barbies up. She bought beautiful accessories for them, shoes, handbags, hats, hair pieces, figure skates, boots. She knitted Barbie clothes with the finest grade wool. I don't even know if baby wool was fine enough. Maybe that's what she used. And she knitted in the finest detail, little embellishments, sometimes little knitted flower detail, tiny pockets, teeny tiny buttons, sequins, the tiniest of pearls. She often gifted me with her delicate hand-knitted Barbie clothes. I have skating dresses, swimsuits, skirts, baby doll nightgowns with matching housecoats and slippers, all knitted by Nanny. And of course, I loved these clothes as a child, but I kind of took them for granted. You don't give these things to a little girl and expect her not to play with them. And I spent hours dressing my Barbies and admiring them, doing their hair, living in my own little fantasy Barbie land. I saved up to buy myself a living Barbie when it launched in 1970. Nanny's Barbies had shoulder and hip joints, which moved in one direction only. Some had knee joints, but the living Barbie had all the joints. She could twist her waist, move her neck, bend her arms and legs, and flatten her feet. It was a miracle. I made furniture out of empty cereal boxes, little dressers and things like that, cars out of milk cartons. I got a Barbie house for Christmas one year. I don't recall whether it was an actual Barbie dream house. Maybe they didn't call it that then. But of course I was thrilled with it. It's not like we were super wealthy and showered with expensive toys every year. We weren't. That was very special. I had a Skipper, Barbie's little sister. I had Tootie and Todd, these little twins who I think were supposed to be her little twin sister and brother. Barbie's friend Midge, who had uh, freckles and a really pretty kind of, um, she was a redhead, but not a flaming redhead. It was kind of a subdued auburn. She was gorgeous. But one day I came home from school when my little brother was still home all day and not in school, he had smashed in one of Midge's breasts with a screwdriver. Why, I never understood. He had also ripped up some of my favorite paper dolls. I had one paper doll that was about two feet tall. Well, she was actually kind of a heavy cardboard. But anyway, she was ruined. Maybe Dorth wasn't paying enough attention to him on those days. I don't know. Who knows? Dorothy had a lot to deal with. I think she was pretty depressed. You know, Ted. I had a Ken doll at some point, but his clothes weren't that much fun to me. But my Barbie didn't have to just settle for Ken. She had so many options for a lover. Because when my brother got a little older, he had Captain Action figures and G.I. Joe figures, which were the 11 and a half inch size dolls. He used to make me so mad when he'd strip them all naked and put them in sexual positions. Ugh, I just wanted them to wear their pretty clothes. Brothers, 
You might be thinking, what the hell? How did he learn that? He shared a room with older brothers, so who knows? There were Playboy books kicking around the house. You know, and my dad was a bit vocal uh, about his opinions, about talking about women's bodies. So, yeah. You know what I think? I just thought of this. You know what I think would have been, would be great? I think it would be great to have old Barbie, like Barbie at my age, except not just some gran. Barbie, if she were 63, 65, 70. My nan always dressed up and wore heels and pretty clothes and hats and gloves. We could have Nana Barbie. I think that would be a lot of fun. And then I think it would, um, it might help encourage children to view a stylish, feminine, older lady as not invisible. It would be fun role-playing. And then Barbie's babies would have Nana Barbie to play with them, and they could all share clothes. I think that's a good idea. Please produce that. I still have some of Nanny's Barbies, which may be worth something. I'm sure they're not worth top dollar because none of them are pristine in the box. They were all used and dressed in Nanny's knits. But I would not part with them even if they were worth something. They're tucked away in a box, some of them wearing unfinished knitted clothing. Sadly, Nanny's eyesight got to the point where she just couldn't see well enough to knit such tiny, tiny detail. And apparently even glasses weren't enough. I don't know, but I remember her telling me that when I asked her why she wasn't knitting anymore. Well, you know, sweetheart, I just can't see well enough anymore to stitch tiny little flowers and sequins and pearls. Hmm. I know it made her sad because she really enjoyed the process. My girls had their own Barbies, but they were also allowed to play with mine. I think young children enjoy playing with toys that belong to their parents. And it kind of reminds them that Ah, yeah, my mother was a child at one time. She was a little girl just like me. And I still have a lot of my girls' toys. So when my grandchildren come over, they play with my daughter's dolls or littlest pet shops or Lego, all kinds of stuff. And of course, my dolls have been damaged over the years. Some of the clothes and shoes have been lost. Hair has been cut, but they were played with a lot and well-loved. By two generations. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When I grew up to be a young woman, uh, I used to always 
dress up for work. People didn't necessarily in Sarnia. Some people would refer to colored cotton trousers as dress pants. Well, I wore dresses and suits and skirts and always high heels. I was always self-conscious about my height, which is stupid, but I did always wear high heels. And sometimes people would try to insult me by saying something like, you're such a Barbie, and they would say it to me like that. Can you believe that people in the workplace would feel entitled to sneer at one of their colleagues and make comments like that? It did happen. I would just smile and say, thank you, even though I knew they meant it as an insult. I love Barbie, and they would kind of look at me like I was insane. Obviously, I was nothing like Barbie. I just dressed up. I'm short. I'm not particularly slender. I'm a bit Rubenesque. I don't have long legs, and my hair is less than fabulous, even though it was a little better when I was young. So I think it had to be the skirts and dresses and high heels. And I loved high heels. The higher, the better. One year, not that long ago, I think it was, yeah, it was Christmas 2018. Catherine gifted me with the most beautiful, pink, sparkly, high-heeled Dolce & Gabbana Mary Janes. I love those shoes. I wore them one day, not too long before lockdown, to the office at my job in Sarnia with jeans and a plain white shirt. One of my colleagues happened to be the type who wouldn't be caught dead in a dress. Flat shoes every day. I don't think she ever wore makeup either. That was just her style. And I don't insult people for that style, so I don't think it's fair for them to insult me for dressing uber-feminine. Anyway, this woman had an office. A lot of us were in cubicles. And the office walls along the hallway were floor-to-ceiling glass with about the middle third of it frosted for privacy. I had walked by, and when she saw me later that day, she said, she said to me, shaking her head, Jesus Christ, I knew those shoes had to be yours when I saw them go by this morning. I didn't think she was insulting me. I think she just doesn't understand why I would put myself through it. But, yeah, pretty shoes, even when I see them in an ad or in a shop, make me feel this little flutter of happiness. Even though, now that I'm old, I refuse to walk in anything that gives me a lot of pain. Plus, I really don't even go anywhere anymore, not even the office. But I still covet pretty high heels. I think part of the reason is because I've always looked at clothes on me and thought, that doesn't look so good. But my best feature is my feet. Well, my second best feature is my feet. My best feature used to be my hands. They're starting to age. But my best feature is my feet. And I just love putting on pretty shoes. And plus, they make me taller. But anyway... Those Dolce shoes were in an independent film recently. I was playing a judgmental, snooty mother. I also wore Nanny's black peignoir set in one scene. And the director loved the shoes so much, they shot a close-up of them as I walked up the stairs. I never did see the finished product of that film. I wonder if they ever finished it. Oh, well, sometimes that's just how it goes with low-budget independent filmmaking. They never quite finish, or they finish and don't manage to get a screening, or they forget to let everyone know about the screening, and then they never send you the reel they promised you. Whatever. I 
bought myself a Barbie a couple of years ago. I don't know why. I just saw it in the store and I thought it was beautiful. So I impulsively bought it. Oh, your little girl will love this, the cashier said as I checked out. I didn't tell her my little girls were in their 30s. I hope so, I smiled. What's left of the little girl in me certainly will love it. When Abe was working in Montreal, pre-lockdown, he used to come home every weekend, but I used to visit him every maybe four to six weeks for a weekend. It was so exciting. I loved going to Montreal for the weekend. But once when I was there, he and I went to see the Barbie Expo, which is the largest permanent exhibit of Barbies anywhere, with over a thousand dolls on display, which I just looked it up. I'm sorry, it happens to be closed due to water damage and flooding at the moment. Well, that was kind of bad timing. Although, getting in is free, so what do they care? It's not like they're losing money. But I hope it's still free when it reopens, because it's fascinating. They have Barbies associated with various brands like Coca-Cola Barbie or whatever. Barbies wearing designer clothing. Celebrity and character Barbies. International Barbies. Even Abe enjoyed the Barbie Expo. He's not a Barbie fan. He did not expect to enjoy it. He just went with me to be kind because he knew I would like it. But he found it surprisingly interesting. I will share the website. If you have a chance to be in Montreal, hopefully it's open and you'll be able to see it. I highly recommend it. If you love Barbie, the Barbie Expo is for you. If you hate Barbie, the Barbie Expo is for you. It might convert you. Here I am, someone who hasn't even seen the film yet, and I've banged on about Barbie for quite a long time now. If you're still listening, I just want to thank you now for hanging in there. I got an email from a young person who's moving to the U.S. from the U.K. within the next year or so, and she's a bit nervous about the work aspect. She says, I know Canada and U.S. are very different, but is the U.S. work world the scary, unfeeling, competitive, nasty place I've invented in my head? I absolutely love my current job. It's a wonderful, supportive environment, and I think I will be eaten alive in the U.S. So I thought I'd address this. I talk about work a lot, how work has changed, and different strategies for dealing with different day-to-day -day things. I will say... She is right about Canada and the U.S. being very different. And of course, when it comes to work, one of the major differences is that Canada has universal health care. It isn't perfect. You'll probably have to wait longer than you'd like. But if you need to be hospitalized, you do not risk losing your home and life savings to pay for medical bills. In the U.S., health care is very much tied to your job. I worked with one person recently who used to do independent consulting, and then she accepted a permanent position because she said even though her hourly rate was good, her health care was costing her $2,000 a month. So it worked out better in the end to have the permanent job, which included health care. I personally think it's kind of a way to keep you trapped. But anyway, I'm the decision maker of nothing. And I'm not a U.S. citizen, so I'm not even a voter. And I think U.S. employers have to provide health care, maybe just to full-time employees. I'm not sure what the rules are. 
And of course, the writer's strike has taught us that at least their union members have to earn a minimum of 26000 a year to qualify for health care coverage, which is apparently not an easily met threshold. Even though I would challenge anyone, certainly any of these lawmakers, certainly any wealthy business owners who are trying to lock people out because their demands are unreasonable, I would challenge any of you to live on 26000 a year. But anyway, there's that. And it's my understanding that companies can refuse to cover certain prescriptions based on their religious beliefs. For example, they may cover Viagra, but not oral contraception, which I think is very contradictory. I would argue that if God meant for you to have an erection, you'd have that erection without medication. And a boner is not as important a health issue as contraception. But once again, I digress. Sorry for getting off topic. You specifically asked about the workplace being unfeeling, competitive, and nasty, all of which I would lump together and call it a toxic environment. I personally have never lived and worked in the U.S., so if any of the U.S. listeners, I know you're out there, if you would like to weigh in, I would love to hear from you because you'll know better than I would. I'm serious. Please email me with better information at jewelsays at gmail.com. Because my perception is based on working for a corporation whose head office moved from Canada to the U.S. and working remotely as an independent consultant and some conversations I've had with people about that subject, plus what I've read. So I will say, based on those things, it seems to me that in general, the work culture tends to be a bit different. You may have heard an episode that I had with J.P. Castlin. He had proposed a business modeled after Scandinavian work culture, which is more paid time off, better work-life balance, and the option of, if you get a bonus, you would have the option of taking some or all of that compensation in time as opposed to money. He was advised that it wouldn't work in the U.S. because they just want the money. They are 100% going to take the money. Also, there's very little in the way of federally legislated parental leave. I'm sure the states differ. In my opinion, just my opinion, that speaks volumes about corporate and cultural priorities. So there is something to that. When my company's Canadian head office moved to the U.S. back when I was still in Sarnia, Some of my colleagues who moved to the U.S. office noticed that people were kind of hanging around at the end of the day, afraid to go home before the boss went home. They were more concerned about the optics of working hard than just doing their work to deliver the results. Was this a U.S. thing or was it just that company's leadership? I really have no way of knowing. One of those leaders ended up taking millions and millions and millions when the company was going tits up and ended up being bought by by a Middle Eastern company. It was a debacle. So I think he was one of those nefarious, greedy CEOs. They're, They're out there. I mean, we all want to have lots of money, but there's having lots of money at the expense of everyone else. And then there's having lots of money and still doing okay by other people. But I don't own a big corporation. Would that kind of power and money corrupt me? I would like to think not. I can say, though, that I have worked and am currently working as an independent consultant for a U.S. firm, 
And this company, from what I can tell, is pretty good to work for. I have no idea what their policies are on how much vacation time people get or parental leave, but their corporate culture seems to be to respect people's work-life balance and time off. Every person, without exception, who I've dealt with at this company, and I've been working with people across the organization, every one of them cares deeply about doing the right thing and is incredibly kind and supportive. I've been told I'm appreciated by so many of the people who work at this company. I've seen some nastiness, not directly related to me, just in a meeting, and I think that's a specific person. But I think you could find that anywhere. There are human beings. Uh, the worst nastiness I ever experienced was from a, from a former colleague in good old Sarnia, Ontario, Canada, back in the day. So yeah, I think most people are wonderful, kind, hardworking, and supportive. You just might get the odd loud mouth who's not. And if that person is at the top, the culture really trickles down from the top. But I think that's possible anywhere. Rest assured that not every U.S. business is as cutthroat as the media would have you believe. You can do some research on Glassdoor or LinkedIn on a company's corporate culture. You'll want to know that information anyway before an interview. You have to do some research on the company so that you know what you're talking about. And if you, when you do get that interview, trust your gut when you're in the room. I personally handle an interview like a fun chat. It's not just about whether they want you. You have to also want them. It has to be a good fit. But I'm really excited for you moving to the U.S. I always say we regret the things in life we don't do, and one thing you can count on is change. There is so much opportunity in the U.S. The market is vast. The population is huge. The geography is vast. If one place doesn't work out, you keep moving forward and look for another opportunity. And I firmly believe that if you show up consistently, on time, make an effort to get along with people, deliver what you need to deliver, and solve problems, any employer you have is going to think you're worth your weight in gold. And if they don't treat you with respect and you're doing all that, then they don't deserve you find something else. I hope that helps. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're enjoying your summer. I need to step it up a bit. And I'm going to see that Barbie movie. You can email me with any question or comment at jewelsays at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.